0: Welcome to Tripping Up. I'm your host, Nina Clapperton, author of Nina Out and About. Today's episode is super exciting. I'm chatting with Heidi Eliason about what can go wrong when you travel. Heidi is a freelance writer, editor, and consultant. Her past work includes writing for an RV adventure company, creating more than 50 RV travel articles for an online news source, and developing training courses and manuals for RVs. Her book, which is one of my favorites, Confessions of a Middle-Aged Runaway, is her very first work of long narrative about her RV adventure. She now lives in the San Francisco Bay Area, and she's gone all over in her RV. I'm super inspired by her because I've always wanted to live in an RV. This episode is so much fun. We talk about when things can go wrong in an RV, about the weirdest date in her life that involved fossilized shark teeth, and a little bit about um, some amazing experiences you can have with bioluminescence. So without further ado, here's Heidi Eliason on Tripping Up.
1: Now boarding.
0: Hi, Heidi. Welcome to Tripping
2: Up. Hi, Nina. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. I'm part of such a fun podcast.
0: We're very excited to have you, and I am so excited to share your travel stories with the world. So, to start off, I ask all of our guests who you are, how you travel, why you travel.
2: Sure, I'll start with the why. Uh, I travel because it's just really necessary for my well-being. That's when I feel the most alive and happy and full of curiosity. Uh, I married and divorced and became a single parent at a pretty young age, and I so I hadn't really had the freedom or the resources to travel as much as I would have liked. Um, I I have done some travel in the U.S. for a couple of jobs I had in the past, but most of my travel has been for pleasure. Uh, I'm not the sort of person that fares well with a lot of routine or staying in the same place. I really need new uh, places and experiences to kind of take me out of my own head and out into the world, or I kind of start feeling like a caged animal. I moved around a lot when I was younger, too, and I just like that new experience, new place feeling. Um, and I especially love experiencing nature and wildlife when I travel too. And the travel I describe in my book was when I spent five years living and traveling in my motorhome. I was leisurely experiencing the U.S. and Mexico's Baja Peninsula. I'd kind of always fantasized about just having the time to travel around in an RV and really see places, you know, on my own pay at my own pace. And then after going through the empty nest syndrome at the age of 45, when my daughter left home, I decided that I needed a drastic change in my life, a real major shakeup. I felt really trapped in a dead end job and I'd lost my passion for life after decades of hard work and responsibility. There'd been a lot of years of working two jobs, working overtime, having a business on the side or going to school while I was working full time and raising my daughter. So I was just tired of running the hamster wheel of making a living. And I really wanted some freedom. I wanted to, like I said, just leisurely explore places instead of blasting in and out you know, during my limited vacation time from work. So I I started fantasizing about buying a little trailer and just running away to the beach somewhere. (laughs) Um, But eventually I I did like almost a year of preparation and planning for it. But I, I sold my house. I quit my job, got rid of most of my stuff, bought a motorhome, and I hit the road with Riley, my border collie. It was only supposed to be one year, but, um, And that was because I was gonna use the proceeds or some of them from the sale of my house to finance the travel. But at the end of that first year, I just was not ready to stop because I found, I spent a lot more time in places than I thought. So I hadn't seen anywhere near as much as I thought I would in a year. So I found work I could do while I was still traveling and was able to extend my trip for another four years. Wasn't probably the smartest financial decision to quit <laughs> my job <laughs> during my prime wage earning years and, and sell my house so I could have the money to travel. But it felt really necessary for my sanity and survival, and, and it really changed my life. And as it turned out, I was actually better off financially after I ended my adventure I also, I learned a lot, I gained confidence, and I got a better job making more money, doing something that I enjoyed much more. So um, it was really the right thing to do. And most importantly, I regained my passion for life and I was just so much happier. Uh, Since then, I've focused mainly on international travel. I've visited a number of countries. I did a hiking trek to Machu Picchu and safari in Tanzania and have explored Australia and Thailand and some countries in Europe. But I especially love road trips and that feeling of freedom that the open road gives me. Uh, And I like to have a little activity and a bit of adventure. So my trips usually include you know, hiking and snorkeling and kayaking, ziplining, helicopter rides, that sort of thing. <laughs> I um, love and it. I met, yeah. And then now I travel with my husband. I met him eight years ago and we were just married in October. So now I have a travel partner.
0: Oh, congratulations. Thank you. That's nice. Yeah. I, I mean, I love what you say, though, about like travel being for your wellness as well. Because I think there's a lot of, I mean, emphasis on like waiting for the right time or like having to like wait for things. But I think it really is about kind of going and grabbing it. And like and I mean, yeah, and usually you end up better off than when you left.
2: Yeah, I knew so many people that had been planning to do what I did, but they were waiting until they retired to do it. And then a lot of times, you know, somebody got sick or passed away or you know something happened they had to take care of somebody so um, they weren't able to do it so I just decided I was going to go for it.
0: (laughs) That's amazing and so brave because I think a lot of people do struggle with taking that step.
2: You know it's funny I had a lot of women tell me that they thought that what I was doing was brave but I just told them I just felt like it was necessary for my sanity and survival
0: you know. Yeah. And I'm sure through the course of those road trips you've picked up an interesting travel souvenir and I would love it if you'd share that with us.
2: Sure. I think the weirdest thing I picked up while traveling was probably fossilized shark teeth.
1: Wow, and I think
2: Yeah, I think it was also my most unusual date. Uh, This was during the motorhome travels again, when I spent a winter in Florida and it was long before I met my husband. So I was single at the time. I had joined a meetup group for social activities. I don't know if you're familiar with meetup, but it's an online social website. Yeah. So they have a lot of different groups you can join. And so I joined a social group for things like, you know, dinners and dancing and game night and things like that. And I met a man at several of the activities and he asked me out on a date and we had a couple of the usual lunch and dinner dates. And then he asked me if I wanted to go hunting for shark teeth. I'd never heard of this. <laughs> so naturally, I was intrigued. <laughs> so after I confirmed that the teeth were not still attached to the mouths of living sharks, <laughs> and that we Most weren't important. Be doing but- it, yeah, no shark dentistry <laughs> was going to be involved. <laughs> I said I was definitely on board. So my date picked me up and we drove to Venice, which is on Florida's Gulf side, south of Tampa and near Port Charlotte. And apparently Venice is known as the shark tooth capital of the world. I guess they even have like a shark tooth festival in April, or at least they used to before the pandemic. I don't know what's happening now, but, and I had never been to it, but, uh, because I wasn't there in April, but sounds intriguing. Uh, We went to Casperson Beach, which is just littered with shark teeth, or at least it was when I visited, this was back in 2010 and you know as i'm sure everyone knows sharks mouths are full of teeth <laughs> but yeah, don't they uh, have like they have like three rows don't they yeah some of them have more than one row of teeth and then they're they're producing and losing teeth constantly wow so apparently i learned this a single shark can lose 50,000 teeth over the course of its lifetime which just sounds oh my crazy. god yeah, I <laughs> understand why we have so many shark tooth necklaces and stuff floating about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's no shortage of shark teeth, I guess. Um, and I also learned that the teeth there in Venice date back from like 20 million years ago to as recently as like two and a half million years ago. So, you know, long time. And we found dozens of teeth just by sifting through the sand near the water. And we didn't even have to walk very far. They were just all over the place. Some of them were um, like white, you know, sharper edges or serrated edges. But others were black fossilized teeth and they had more rounded edges. I just couldn't believe how many there were there. Just, you know, you could just pick them up. I was told that all of the teeth on that beach doesn't mean that there are a lot more sharks in the water there or more than any anywhere else in the waters of Florida, but you can't help but wonder when you find <laughs> so many. And I did notice that no one was going in the water deeper than their knees. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I guess the, the conditions there, the shallow water and other conditions in Venice there allowed these thick fossil beds to be created and the waves, I guess, expose and erode the fossil layer and then the, and then the teeth mm-hmm. just wash, wash up on the
0: beach. So yeah, weirdest souvenir and most unusual date all in one. <laughs> I do wonder, though, if that's like his move, if he's like, the thing that sets me apart is like my go-to date is going to be fossilized teeth hunting. Yeah,
2: he know, he had to really bring his A-game, you know, and think of something really (laughs) adventurous and different to do.
0: It was a good one. I mean, now if I'm ever on Tinder in Florida, I know what I'm suggesting, and I'm going to scare away so many dates. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens there. (laughs) That's so cool. So do you keep them like, um, do you have them on something or just like kind of put away somewhere?
2: I had them, um, I used to have a like a glass jar that was filled with a bunch of shells that I found during my travels and I had the teeth kind of interspersed in there. But um, I ha- I've had a number of moves and I- I'm not currently having them on display right now. Otherwise I would show you, but
0: yeah. That's <laughs> fair. I mean, it's kind of like a yeah. museum. You gotta like rotate the exhibits with every house. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. That definitely is a weird souvenir. So I'm sure that you've got an amazing and equally unique tripping up story for us. I do.
2: So my tripping up story is really actually more of a series of events rather than a single incident. And they also happened during my motorhome adventure. So just for a little bit of background, um, Except for two white knuckled test drives when I was buying a motorhome, I had never driven or camped in an RV, uh, but I did my research. Like I said, it took me almost a year of planning and research before I set out. So I read books and blogs. I even attended a three-day school for RVers called Life on Wheels. Yeah, unfortunately, they don't have it anymore, but it was... um, it was in Tucson, Arizona on a college campus, and a bunch of RVers came from all over the world. And we learned things in the classroom, like how to empty sewage tanks, options for towing a car, you know, resources for solo travelers, what to look for when you're buying a motorhome or an RV. Uh, and nothing that I was learned that I learned there was hands-on practice but rather just instructions and, and resources. And then I had also scheduled a behind the wheel driving lesson for the day after I was gonna take possession of my motor home. So even though I didn't have any experience with motorhomes or RV travel, I thought I did my homework, I'm prepared, and I also bought a new motorhome. So I thought, what could go wrong? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I had no idea what I was getting into. I was so green. (laughs) And my plan was to drive my car from the San Francisco Bay Area where I live and go to Las Vegas where I was going to pick up the motorhome. And then the following day, I was going to have my driving lesson. And then the day after that, my daughter was flying in and we were going to take a motor home, take the motor home on its maiden journey to Minnesota, where I grew up and where my parents lived at the time. My daughter was taking vacation from work and she didn't have a lot of time off. So she would fly back to the Bay Area after the family visit. So it was a pretty short time frame. And then after she left, that's when I was going to start my year of what I thought was a year of traveling in the motorhome before I had to return to the real world of making a living. And I planned to and did visit my daughter multiple times during my adventure and also flew her out to visit me. So I knew we were going to see each other frequently. Well, right before I was gonna pick up the motor home, my driving instructor called to say he had a medical condition and he had to cancel our lesson. And there was no other instructor to give me my driving lesson. And the motorhome was 30 feet long, and I was also going to be towing my car with a tow bar. So that's a lot of vehicle to haul over the Rocky Mountains when you've never driven anything larger than a sedan.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah.
2: To make matters worse, I couldn't back up. So apparently when you're towing a car with a tow bar, you can't back up without doing damage to the transmission. So any place I pulled into, I had to exit going forward or else I had to disconnect the car from the tow bar, park the car, back up the motorhome, and then hook it all up again, which was a process. And Mm -hmm. I had to do it more than once during my travels. One time I took a wrong turn and I ended up in a residential neighborhood, going up this steep, windy road that was going, it was getting narrower. And so I stopped, unhooked the car, turned it around, parked it at the bottom of the hill, walked back up the hill, backed the motor home down this winding hill, found a place to turn around and then hooked it all up again. And that was not something I wanted to do after a a long day of driving. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine.
2: Yeah. But for this maiden journey, we were on a tight schedule. Like I said, there wasn't going to be any driving lessons. So I just had to learn how to drive that huge contraption. I called it the green monster (laughs) during the trip. Uh, But before we could get on the freeway that first day, uh, I had to install the tow bar on the motorhome and connect the car for the first time. I'd never done this before. So with my daughter helping, we got the tow bar installed. But when we went to connect the safety cables from the motorhome to the car, we discovered they were way too short (laughs) the safety cables are are what keep the car from taking off on its own if the car somehow disconnects from the tow bar so they're pretty important (laughs) so we read the instructions again and we checked our work but we had done everything correctly and the cables were still too short So I kind of had a moment of panic and I thought, oh, no, after all this research and planning and preparation, not going to be able to get us to Minnesota in time for my daughter to spend time with her grandparents before she had to go back to work. But I knew that there was a camping world about a half hour away in Henderson. So I called them up and I talked to a kind soul in their service department. And he told me, oh, yeah, that happens all the time. And they had um, extenders, cable extenders in the store for just that purpose. (laughs) So it never occurred to me that I might need extensions and didn't say anything about that in the instructions with the tow bar. So I was really grateful for his help. So we drove the car to Camping World. We got the extensions and drove back to the motorhome, got the car hooked up and then, you know, disconnected all the cords and hoses and unhooked everything on the motorhome, got everything stored away and secured. And we're finally hit to ready to hit the road. It was about. 2 p.m. by this time, (laughs) far later than we planned to start our trip. And then driving on the freeway for the first time was like running a gauntlet. Cars were just whizzing past at 80 miles per hour. And I was gripping the steering wheel in a vice-like grip and focused on keeping the green monster within my lane. And the first time a semi truck passed us at top speed, it just knocked us sideways like oh. a hockey puck off a stick. And I was gripping the steering wheel even harder after that. And it was so tense from that first day of driving. I could only last for about 200 miles. And then I had to stop for the night. <laughs> but each day after that got a little easier. Uh, Although climbing the pass through the Rocky Mountains, I could only go about 45 miles per hour up the hill, up the mountain. And that was a bit nerve wracking, Um, but not as terrifying as coming down the steep winding road on the other side. (laughs) I kept eyeing those runaway truck ramps that you see on the freeways you know for when brakes fail wondering if I was going to be using one of them but luckily there was a towing feature on the motorhome that put it into low gear so I didn't have to ride the brakes all the way down and and burn through them so I was really grateful for that (laughs) feature. (laughs) So in addition to learning how to drive the motorhome I also had to learn how to fill the water tank, empty the sewage tanks, put air in all those tires and unhook and stow everything that needed to be secured before driving because things would crash around if you didn't. So it took a while to get going every day, but we got a little faster every day. And finally, we made it to Minnesota. I had a great visit with my parents before my daughter flew back to California. And then after that, I was on my own, just me and Riley and the Green Monster for five years, um, oh, although I met and traveled with people that I, you know, along the way that I became yeah. friends with. Um, I spent two months exploring Mexico's, Mexico's Baja Peninsula, which is where I had my first flat tire I was parked on El Coyote Beach on the Sea of Cortez, which is about 17 miles from the nearest town of Mulegé, mm-hmm. And I had never changed a flat tire in my life, not even a bicycle tire. But I compensated for that lack of experience by having a membership with an emergency road service. And then I also purchased an air compressor before I set out on my journey so that I could, fill a tire if I had to. I thought it was so clever. (laughs) Unfortunately, (laughs) my towing service was no good in Mexico. And as I learned while trying to fill my flat tire, the air compressor wasn't powerful enough to fill a motorhome tire. (laughs) Oh, no. Lucky for me, some kind new friends that I'd met on the beach took pity on me as they watched me (laughs) getting nowhere with the air compressor. And they filled up My tire with their far superior air compressor and then followed me while I drove to town and got my tire patched. Um, But also, while I was in Mexico, my water pump started leaking, which I discovered when I walked on soggy carpet next to the bed because the water pump uh, was located next to the bed. And I am not mechanically inclined whatsoever. And I definitely don't have plumbing skills. I tried tightening the connections with a wrench, but it didn't make any difference. It was the water pump was still under warranty. Uh, But I needed to get it back to the States in order to get it replaced. Mm -hmm. And I still had another month planned on the Baja Peninsula. So a kind Canadian that was staying in the RV park, tried to fix it with four of his friends with no luck. (laughs) So I resorted to the universal cure for leaks and stuck a container under it to catch the water. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, it was a slow leak. And then the second flat tire I got was at a Love's gas station on the way to somewhere. I don't even remember where, I think maybe Texas. And I filled up my tank with gas And then I discovered that my tire was flat. So I called my emergency road service, but they said they couldn't send anyone out for at least two hours. And I was blocking the gas pumps. So the gas station attendant wasn't too pleased, but he directed me to a guy in the parking lot who said he could change my tire. And he did. I'm told it's much more difficult changing a You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Higher on a motorhome with the dual tires than a vehicle with four tires. Not that I had any experience with that, but I was on my way within 45 minutes. That's really
0: impressive.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I thought it's so amazing how kind people can be when you're in trouble, especially when you're traveling. So after that, there were a lot more things that broke or malfunctioned, like the water heater, the converter, a water faucet, a vent lid, plus the power cord to the motorhome burned up, I think from a oh, power surge goodness. when I was in Texas. Yeah, <laughs> The sewer system in a campground in California backed up and flooded my campsite. And then uh, when we were in another RV park in California, we were, uh, Riley and I were sleeping. It was the middle of the night, and a very large tree branch split off of a tree that was right behind the motorhome, landed on the motorhome, middle of the night, like I said. But lucky for me, The branches hit the ground first and prevented the really large trunk from crashing through the roof on top of the bed where we were sleeping. It was like right above us. God! Yeah. So that's kind of like a tripping up series rather than a yeah. story. But in spite of all of the problems and challenges, it was still one of the best experiences of my life. And as I said, it it transformed my life. And I highly recommend it to anyone <laughs> who's considering it.
0: Well, I mean, I'm actually planning a like kind of two year adventure, one year in Canada, one year in the States and Mexico. And I'm going to have to like, make sure my mom doesn't listen to this episode before I go. (laughs) I'm not not mechanically (laughs) inclined either. And she's all like, I'm I'm getting a dog that way he'll come with me as well. But like, I'm basically going to recreate your adventure, just hopefully different trip ups.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And not as many, not as many. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe one or two. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. And like, like a burst tire, I can probably like, I, I burst one in Ottawa recently. So like, I'm sure I can, um, I mean, I did, I did nothing to fix it. I called a guy and then waited for an hour. So, I mean, it's not like I actively was helpful in this scenario and like, but you want how to I, deal with it. <laughs> yeah. And like, even when like my bike tire is flat, I call my friend because I still don't know what to do. So I mean, I'm going to have to get better at this. <laughs>
2: It's good that there are people we can call when we need them.
0: (laughs) It's so true. And yeah, you always forget that. Like, I mean, I know Mexico is a different country, obviously, but like you do sometimes forget because they're so close and it's so easy to get down there. Just how much like you really are limited with your services.
2: Right. Yeah. And I had prepared for that by, you know, like I got the air p- compressor. I also had gotten, you know, spare parts like a, an oil filter for the motorhome and, you know, a f- few things like that, um, which none of which I needed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, it was, well, a, it was a good thought anyway.
0: <laughs> it's Murphy's Law. It's like whatever you had to fix wasn't going to break. <laughs> but everything that you didn't have fixes for
2: yeah. So bring as much as you can.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So did you have, um, were there any like highlight stops on your trip?
2: Oh gosh. So many. Uh, well, Mexico was the, the definitely a highlight for me because I told you, I like to see the wildlife and we got to see the gray whales while we were there. Uh, some of the people that I was, I had um, caravaned with down there and some of the people on the beach there, um, we went to, there's three bays on the Pacific there where the gray whales migrate down to, and then they give birth to their calves. And this is usually in February. And so we went out on a little wooden, I don't know, maybe it was 16, 20 feet. I'm not sure exactly how big, not, not a very big boat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, it was just like a little fishing panga, they call them. And uh, so we went out on this little boat in this bay and there were whales all over in this bay giving, and newborns. And, you know, in the, in the U.S., you're, you can't approach whales. You have to stay a certain distance away. But at least at that time in Mexico, they didn't have the same laws. And oh. these whales would just come right up to us. They were swimming back and forth underneath our boat. They were right next to us. You could reach out and touch them. And that was such an incredible experience. I just loved that. That's um, so and cool. It, Yeah, and I also had, I enjoyed um, Florida. I had never visited Florida before. I spent a lot of time in the Southwest because there's a lot of national parks that are really cool, like in Utah and, you know, all over the place. Um, Yellowstone and, you know, lots of great places like that. So, so many great places. I wished... Um, I would have gotten up to Alaska. That was one place I wanted to go that I wasn't able to make happen, but, um, yeah, it was a great trip.
0: That's awesome. And I mean, yeah, you really did hit a lot even, I mean, I know like five years sounds like a long time, but I think once you get going, yeah, you want to, I mean, you're not going to stay like one night everywhere. You want to experience the place.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I was so surprised. Like I started off my solo Uh, journey in New Mexico at the Albuquerque balloon fiesta which it was also a highlight that was a really neat thing to do but I then I ended up spending six weeks just in New Mexico traveling around and seeing. I had no idea there was so much to see in New Mexico so you know you don't get to see as much as you think as you're I mean In one way, (laughs) you don't get to see as much as, as you think you will because you're not traveling as far, but you see a lot more just around where you are, you know, so that was really neat.
0: I think that's like one of the benefits of slower types of travel where like, um, I don't know, I, I love living as a digital nomad. I think it's the coolest thing because, yeah, you, you are able to make your money last longer. So you get those few years on the road where you're not pressured to like go home after your two week vacation. So you're trying to fit in like 14 countries in 14 days.
2: Yeah, yeah, right. It's hard when you're on a limited time frame and you want to see everything and experience everything.
0: Yeah, so my tripping up story actually has a little bit to do with that. Um, I, in 2017, decided to take a year and travel Europe. And it's less of a tripping up individual like moment. Again, it's kind of a series of mistakes I made along the way. Um, Because I left and I had that idea of not quite collecting countries, but I felt like it was some sort of competition of like, I needed to hit like enough spots and I don't know what enough was, but I had this idea that like there was some magic number I had to reach to like qualify somehow, even though like I'd already qualified, I was going, I was doing the thing. <laughs> like there was no, I don't know, maybe it was cause I've been in university just before. So I felt like it was like an application of some sort where I needed to like show I don't know, my passport at the end and show all the stamps and be like, look, I did the thing. Um, <laughs> my first flaw was that I was in Europe. So you don't get a passport in, or a stamp in every country because it's a Europe. So you uh, don't need one. So right. um, yeah, immediately squash that dream. <laughs> 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 but it was one of those experiences where I'd planned out this year and actually it was kind of the opposite where like you had your year like ready, you kind of knew you were gonna do a year. I didn't think I would make it to be honest. I thought it would be two weeks in, I would bail. I and I never I'm not a quitter, I'm not a bailer, but I always assume I am for some reason. And especially with this. So I was like convinced like my first stop was in Switzerland. Um I, like I arrived in Frankfurt then went to Switzerland to puppy sit at this woman's house for about a month. Um sweetest little chihuahua absolute weirdo but loved him (laughs) Um, but I showed up and I was like it's going well oh like why and I kept waiting for things to go wrong and it was one of those moments where like I was expecting things to go wrong. So they weren't going wrong. Like the worst that happened when I was there is I kept trying to, I was staying in this town called Baden and there's Baden, Baden in Germany. And then there's Baden in Switzerland. And they're different for some reason, even though they basically have the same name. So I knew where I was staying and knew that I wanted to go to Zurich, which is about an hour away. Um, you take a bus and then a train and I seem to be incapable of understanding which direction a train is going in because about four times when I went to Zurich, I got on the wrong train and went in the opposite direction for 20 minutes before realizing, and I was doing day trips. So like, it was a very strange start to a day trip to be like, well, I'm like, I left at seven. I'm arriving at 11 on this one hour (laughs) trip because I've gone in the wrong direction (laughs) and Like luckily the poor conductors like took pity on me every time and were like, Oh, stupid American. And I was like, I'm not going to correct you that I'm not American. Like (laughs) it was a stupid mistake. The first time I was like, Oh, I didn't know the second time I was like, should have known the third and fourth time. Even when I told my mom after she was like, were you like, Was this a choice? Like, are you sure you're not like trying to get away? (laughs) Did you have your coffee? (laughs) I think I quit quit caffeine about a year before. So I think I was still feeling the effects.
2: That was the problem.
0: (laughs) Oh, for sure. I mean, maybe I just wanted to stay with the Chihuahua. I didn't want to go to Zurich. I don't know. But it was, yeah, it was one of those experiences over time. I got better at trains. Thank God. um, (laughs) Like actually reading tickets and stuff. But it was one of those things where as I went through, I'd planned these short stops in countries and I wish I'd been able to like give myself more time there because I set myself this like rigorous schedule at the beginning and had like, I printed out calendars and like had the dates already of like everywhere I would be. I'd like pre-booked all these volunteer trips and then I got there and there was no flexibility. So yeah, when I discovered festivals or interesting things, it was like, Cool, but I have a train tomorrow. So bye. (laughs) All right. Yeah. That was kind of the odd trip up of usually preparation is a key, but for me, it was kind of my downfall. And like, Yeah. yeah
2: too much preparation, I guess you don't want to have, but I think what you did was so brave. That would be really scary for me. I mean, my solo trip was just in the U S well, except for, you know, the two months in Baja, but still a lot of people speak English there. Mm -hmm. So, um, but what you do going to all those countries where, you know, maybe there's not a lot of English and getting on the public transportation that is, that stresses me out. So my hat's off to (laughs)
0: Thank you. I mean, I'll be honest, it stresses me out too. I get lost more times than I can count. Usually because of public transport, I need to like bite the bullet and start renting cars when I'm abroad. But like, I, yeah, I I also like, even in like, I grew up in Toronto and I'll be honest, this is really embarrassing, but, um, there's like, the subway goes West and East basically from, for the majority of the line. And I didn't know, like, I would just guess until I was 17, and I would just pick a side, go a stop, and see if it went to the right stop rather than ever figuring out which one was west, and which there's a giant sign. And I live literally, my area is called the West End. And I still, I was like, I don't know, maybe I need to go east to go home. I'm not sure. Like I never and I took the subway every day to get to school in high school. So like I was on this constantly making this mistake
2: (laughs) so you are destined to have train issues I think
0: (laughs) I think so like maybe I need to like get like a compass tattooed on me to remind myself like check directions (laughs) figure it out (laughs)
2: that's a brilliant yes
0: (laughs) yeah it's one of those like like I thought it was just I thought like every kid did it and I started telling my siblings and I have three siblings and they make fun of me for a lot of stuff and I should not have given this them this animation this ammunition because now it's a point of contempt where it's like, do you know which way West is now, Nina? And I'm like <laughs> not really, but I'm gonna say I do so you'll stop. <laughs> yeah,
2: they're probably never gonna let that one go.
0: <laughs> no, definitely not. I mean they're all very directionally sound so it's it's just me. I'm I don't know. I was <laughs> like they put magnets on me as a child or something and I lost all of my polarization. <laughs> I'm the same
2: way if I hadn't had GPS when I was traveling I would be so lost and even then sometimes I got lost
0: <laughs> yeah that's I mean GPS like God bless it because I studied 18th century travel writing when I was living in Scotland for a while and like they just went places in carriages and you're like excuse like I get lost trying to get to the grocery store some days and it's <laughs> three blocks from me. How did you like? Traverse the Scottish Highlands in a carriage like what
2: it's amazing yeah I don't know how they did it
0: (laughs) well now that we've I don't
2: know for sure (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) well now that we've both shared our tripping up stories I'd love it if we could remind our guests about why we put ourselves through this and share a travel triumph
2: Yeah, so some of my favorite travel memories are from that time when I was camped on El Coyote Beach on the Sea of Cortez. The camaraderie I experienced with my fellow travelers camped on the beach. Some of them were from all over the world. Um, A lot of people came like from Canada and the US and other places every winter and they would camp there on the beach. But it was such a special experience we shared meals and happy hours together. We played mm-hmm. together. We explored together. We helped each other out. We had a, a movie sharing library and a book library. People shared their Boats and cars and kayaks and water toys. It was just a wonderful community. Uh, Travelers, I think, are just the best sort of people and really watch out for each other. It was a great time of just, you know, connection. And I had really worried when I started out that I wouldn't fit in because I think that's kind of my... Thing. I worry about fitting in. Um, most of the travelers that I knew and met when I started were uh, of retirement age or even older, and I was still in my 40s. So I didn't know if we would have much in common, and I felt so experienced next to them. They all seemed to know what they were doing, and I had no clue. (laughs) But none of that mattered. I had the best time with the people I met, and they were so kind to me. They shared their knowledge and experience. I made some great friends, and they didn't laugh at me when I made my (laughs) stupid mistakes or at least not in front of me. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well I'm sure they made them too. So and they didn't want someone laughing at them for them. <laughs>
2: yeah, probably so. Yeah, they were just further along the trail than I was. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> but I did
2: have one very special memory of that time on El Coyote Beach when I was alone and um it, so every night we would have a campfire and our group of new friends would gather on the beach for the campfire and Um, When I went this one particular evening, I found that most of the group was splashing or kayaking in the water, and it was filled with bioluminescence.
0: Oh, my God.
2: Uh, And I don't know if you've experienced that or if your listeners know what that is, but it's um, flashes of light that are created by living things through apparently chemical reactions in their bodies. But whenever the water was disturbed or somebody splashed or paddled in the water, it looked like buckets of sparkling diamonds were just poured into the sea. It, I'd never seen it before and I was just totally captivated. I splashed around in the water and went out in a kayak and we were all like little kids experiencing <laughs> something new and exciting. And then we, after, the, after we were done with that, we gathered around the campfire for a while and everybody was just really happy and relaxed and, Eventually, it was time for bed. We went to bed pretty early, uh, you know, because... Uh, a lot of people had solar panels on their RVs, and so after dark, you know, the batteries would start to run down, and so people would go to bed early and get up early. So, yeah. so everyone kind of started wandering off to their RVs, and I was the last one lingering on the beach. And a light rain started to fall. It was just like this really warm, pleasant rain. And when the raindrops hit the water, it lit up like there were billions of stars in the bay. And and it was the most magical sight I have ever seen. And I was just filled with this incredible joy at witnessing this amazing natural sight. And I felt like it was just for me because I was the only one there Aww. on the beach. And it helped me regain my passion for life and, and all of the incredible people and sights on this planet. And it was such a gift. And it was really an important part of my entire travel adventure that really caused that life transformation for me. And I just think that the experiences we have while traveling can really be life changing.
0: I agree entirely. And I mean, I've experienced bioluminescence once when I was in Jamaica and like it is, it's the coolest thing. And I mean, it's, it alone feels like Like it makes me believe in magic and like, I know it's science or I don't care. It's magic. It's just magic.
2: (laughs) That's sure what it looks like. Yeah. It looks like something you'd see on a Disney show or something. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty cool.
0: That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all your stories with us, Heidi. This has been so lovely and thank you for joining me on tripping up.
2: Thanks so much, Nina. It's been really fun.
0: Perfect, I'll just stop.
1: Attention passengers, we've now reached
2: our destination. We hope you enjoyed the flight and have a nice day.
0: Are you ready to live in an RV yet? Or is it just me? Because I am so ready. Since my chat with Heidi, I've actually gone out in an RV and driven it. And I totally get what she means now about driving beside like another big truck. And had I not spoken to her before, I may have crashed the RV. (laughs) So this podcast is now not just a comedy podcast, but it's also your RV safety podcast. (laughs) If you want to learn more about Heidi, you can visit her website, HeidiEliason.com. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, She also has a blog on her website that has some amazing articles that you can read more about, Um, but I also recommend buying her book, Confessions of a Middle-Aged Runaway. Heidi is such an inspiration to me because I don't believe in waiting to live your best life. I think it's important to just kind of go whenever you're ready. It's why I travel now, even though I'm not quite middle-aged, I'd like to think. I don't really know what counts as middle-aged. But I've got the puppy. I've now got the RV experience. And I hope to kind of walk in Heidi's footsteps because she's paved the way for more solo travelers like me. If you'd like to read more about my work, you can find me on ninaoutandabout.ca. I've actually got some uh, information about my RV trip and a little bit more about um, me getting lost abroad. You can find an article called Alone in Amsterdam that talks about how I cried in a train station in Amsterdam because once again, I was lost. (laughs) I hope you have a great rest of your day, everybody. And remember to travel safe.